This podcast should not be considered as medical or legal advice. If you are looking for such advice, then do contact a professional. But please find someone that has a brain and can think critically about what's going on in the world today. This is the Collective Resistance Podcast with your hosts, Leo and Fabiola. We will be discussing why we find ourselves resisting the narratives of the common collective, as well as why the common collective resists new information. Fabiola, how are you doing? Hey, Leo. Doing good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. We are back for season seven. This wow. is episode. Would imagine. Uh, this is episode sixty-one, right? Isn't that how we number yes. these? Yeah, yeah, sixty-one. Sixty-one. Now we are actually recording this um, kind of at the tail end of season six, but that was just because of scheduling and all of that. So, you know, other stuff may have happened in the month, you know, month and a half or whatever that we're off. So we we can't really say, but. Uh, uh, as we kick off the new season, I know last season we kind of went back a little bit to, um, you know, talking about the WEF and viruses and all of that type of thing. We had a few kind of outlier uh, um, uh, episodes, or I should say a couple outlier episodes, but predominantly we, we stayed kind of in that germ theory, terrain theory type uh, topic. And uh, this particular season, you wanted to get more into, how did you coin it? Beyond the veil. Beyond the veil. So I mean, this may be our mo- our most controversial, controversial, esoteric if that's season even possible. You know, um, where we just kind of get out there. If you want, now, now I, I want to say, I want to lead off and say, you know, we are exploring topics. Number one, because we find them interesting. It's not that mm. it's not that we've bought. I, and I would say that you know, in in a lot of the episodes we've done, it's not that we're bought into. Uh, uh, these ideas fully, but we are exploring them because you cannot, yeah. you cannot fully uh, uh, come to a conclusion about how you feel about a topic until you fully explore yeah, it. Yeah, kind of like the virus conversation. It's not that we say what is the we're saying, what is the cause of disease, but what we know is that viruses are not the cause of disease based on the scientific method. Yeah, so there's just some things that that, that really uh, uh, bother us on that particular front. Um, but we know that, you know, like I, we, we talked to Mitch, the orgone donor uh, in season six. And, you know, for a lot of people, we heard some feedback, you know, that that was kind of, uh, you know, uh, a really challenging episode to, to listen to and, and just kind of grasp the concepts they didn't expect based on what we kind of started the podcast over to it to go there, you know, and but they, we got good feedback too, saying, you know, it was it was uh, very intriguing, you know, get people thinking again. And maybe people don't buy into everything, but we're just about exploring those topics and then figuring out uh, where we, we feel about them rather than just being in the mindset of what we see in the traditional market, which is, look, there are certain topics that are taboo. We don't you talk don't about talk them. About uh, we we want to go there and we want to see how we feel about them. And then we just think, I mean, e- even if those things, uh, we find that they don't hold water, we find it very interesting, just the, the, the information that is out there, how people come to those conclusions and, and uh, 
uh, we want to we want to explore it. So you know we've got a special guest here tonight that that Fabi uh, was kind of led to by some of her searching online, and uh, we're going to introduce them in a minute. Um, but uh, again, we think you'll you'll find this as a fun conversation, kind of hearing about uh, what somebody has really dedicated a lot of time and effort into uh, uh, delving into, and uh, uh, you know. With, did you want to say anything else, or do we want to go ahead and introduce uh, Ryan? Yes, I will introduce introduce Ryan soon. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, I mean, when we when he comes on here, okay. Yes. All right, all right. Well, let's go ahead and grab him and bring him on. Just a quick bio for him. Ryan Zem is a follower of Christ Jesus, polar explorer in training, flat earther, philosopher, historian antiquarian and game developer his original channel spill the truth was deleted by youtube thank you youtube ryan zem is currently traveling from the 45th parallel to the north pole a journey of more than 3,000 miles the route begins in the united states crosses the entirety of saskatchewan and none of it canada before the final push to the pole ryan welcome thank you so much for joining us today how are you, Ryan? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. I'm doing good. Leo and Fabioli, I appreciate you invite. Of course. Glad, glad to be here today. Of course. So, so, Fabi, where are you kicking us off? I, I, I'm dying to know about this journey. First of all, how I, I've been just so intrigued with the Tartarian um, topic since I watched a documentary called The Lost History of Flat Earth. And right. I'm still kind of figuring things out. I had just heard, you know, people make fun of flat earthers in the past. And I watched Beyond the Curve and wasn't sure because the documentary was just lumping like anti-vax, you know, calling people anti-vaxxers and we're not, you know, pro pro the vaxes. <laughs> so yeah, I'm like, yeah, why yeah, are they excellent. mixing those things together? And then later watching that documentary series, uh, The Lost History of Flat Earth, I was super intrigued because I had never heard of tar- Tartaria before. And it seemed like it's a topic that is a passion of yours. And then to top it off, figure out that you were looking for Hyperborea, which is possible lost lands at the North Pole yourself. So that's amazing. (laughs) So can you share your journey? How did you come into this topic? And how did you, why did you decide to go all the way up to the North Pole? Well, there's uh, on the top topic of the flat earth for one, the North Pole is a pretty important place. Of course, it would be the direct center of Earth. Right. And um, studying the stars uh, and celestial navigation is really quite important for the topic of flat Earth. Not so much at the North Pole because the way the stars move at the North Pole works with the flat Earth model and with the sphere Earth model. Okay. Um, but at the South Pole, with the Southern Polar Star, uh, Sigma Octans, it doesn't really work with the, with the current Flat Earth model, at least with the map as the polar azimuth equidistant map, the, which, you know, the regular Flat Earth map. Um, the way that Sigma Oct 
octans goes around the sky at the South Pole is, I, I can't personally wrap my head around how that works on a flat earth. Um, but that's also assuming that the stars are, are physical objects. Mm -hmm. Um, which I wonder I'm, about that too. If they not are not convinced. up there, what what are they? Are they just you know, lights? Are they a mirage? <laughs> For one, um, almost all of them are perfect circles, not when magnified with telescopes and all that. They turn into these uh, color changing. Uh, they look the, like the, they're underwater, right? Exactly. That's what I'm trying to describe is that yeah. they look they look like they're underwater and it looks like we're looking through um, through some type of body of water to see them. So, but the way that the sun especially is a, a perfect circle, not a sphere, but a circle and the fact that light waves traveling through our atmosphere follow a perfect oh, I'm not a perfect, but follow a curve Mm -hmm. at all times um, means that eventually the, the definition of a curve is a radius of curvature mm -hmm. and a radius is defines a circle so it, I have um, video videos about this topic it's called horizontal refraction but okay essentially what I'm explaining is that a light wave traveling from a, a long ways away through our atmosphere follows a curve and that curve eventually becomes a, a circle. And um, for me to look up into the sky and say, at the moon, for example, and say, that's definitely a solid ma uh, mass of rock. It's, mm -hmm. There's no way I, I would ever, it doesn't look like it to me. Um, they, the fact that the light waves are following curvature means that there's optical illusion in the sky, okay. um, which is, for celestial objects, it's called astronomical refraction. And for distant uh, objects on the horizon, it's called terrestrial refraction. But, um, the, you know, the, just the fact that uh, that what we see in the night sky is in the optical, at least under some amount of optical illusion, is enough for me to, to, to question what is, what are we actually seeing mm -hmm. at the South Pole with sigma octan so the southern southern polar star and that's led me on a, on a real desire to to go to antarctica so i can see the antarctic night sky with oh, with my own okay. eyes study study the stars travel by celestial navigation and um step one to that would be going to the north pole so that was my initial uh interest in the North Pole is a is a training grounds for future Antarctic expedition. And if I can't reach the North Pole, where temperatures are much warmer, um, then how how can I try to reach this, the South Pole, right? So it's yeah, because I, I hear a lot of people saying, okay, if you want to prove that it's flat, why don't you go to the South Pole? So you were the first person that actually said, hey, I'm I'm actually going to go to the North Pole. I mean, at yeah. least I'm attempting to do it. And that's a lot. And that's another thing. There's a lot of people who say, if the Earth's flat, why don't you go take a picture of the edge? Right. Well, for me, I don't believe in an edge. Uh, if anything, I think there would be a firmament. And we may encounter a, a firmament, um, 
and uh, it and just looks re- like ice, but it's not. I, yeah, I don't know what is it. Is it mm-hmm. is it crystal? Is it ice? Is it is it glass? You know, mm-hmm. um, sand makes makes glass. So it's there's uh, all kinds of things. And in the study of the sky, um, I want to know what is the um, what is the for light as it's traveling through the atmosphere, through water or air. Um, it bends based on two different things, um, but one of them is the refractive index of the media. So, with uh, air, it's one point, you know, zero three three three. With water, it's like one point three three three, and that's. And so, if there's a firmament, I I need to know <laughs> firmament. I need to know what is the refractive index of the firmament because. Um, without that, then how could we study the night sky? Because we're not sure what the light waves then are doing as they're passing through the firmament. Um, that makes sense. So, but also, yeah, when people, you know, it's like there's the flat earth community, but how many of them are going out? Uh, some people are going out locally and shooting lasers over lakes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the real meat of, of the flat earth theory would come from uh and antarctica so mm-hmm. you know I, I remember the 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 one of the and i was actually going to ask you this question about what the 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 biggest proof for you ever was uh, but before i do that I, I know one thing that i i caught in a a movie i don't remember what it was but uh i had a lot of problems with the overall movie but uh, and, and part of the reason was is that it seemed like they were just piecing a bunch of clips of interesting things but then they were never like interrogating each thing and saying, you know, what's the context, what's the uh, aftermath, all of that. So it really did look super compelling, but I'm like, man, I really wish that there was more meat in that perspective to go in. And one of the things that they, they had shown was this group that, you know, actually built a pretty fancy rocket and, and, mm-hmm. and shot it up in the air. And then it like, and they had a GoPro or something on it. And then it hit, right. it seemed like it hit something. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then it came back down and I'm yeah. like, OK, well, that's that's pretty killer. I like that. But, but where are these people? But where are it? Well, first of all, why isn't there, why didn't they do it twice? Yeah. Because if they did it twice and it did it the second time, then I'm like, OK, then I'm like, this is like the it's probably expensive. Well, I figured it's expensive, but I figured yeah. they, they funded it the first time. They maybe had a, you know, a, a fallback. So, so I'm wondering like you're because I, I still I still. Uh, go back to that and say, well, look, to me, that's the most compelling thing I've seen. And, um, uh, but I, I still want more, right? I want to see that yeah. repeated. What, what's been the most compelling thing for you and why? Well, for me, it's physics of the air. Um, and that's what I, what I'm really talking about as far as atmospheric refraction, astronomical and terrestrial refraction. Um, and if the, you can the, try in layman's terms. <laughs> number two, I, I'll, no, I'll get into that here in a second. Number two would be the, I've, I haven't done them personally, but mm-hmm. I've seen teams from Brazil uh, as well as from the U.S. who have done tests where they've shot lasers over lakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I 
I'd have to double check the one from Brazil, but I think they were up to 400 miles. Oh, wow. The, the laser was essentially two inches off of the lake and they were on the other side. And th there comes the laser two inches off of the lake. And it's wow. like, where is the curvature yeah. for, for um, 400 miles? Exactly. Earth, which I forget how much the laser should have been, but it's like it was supposed to have been like 16 or 20 feet above their mm -hmm. head. Right. right? And it, because of the curvature of the earth. Instead, boom, there it was two inches above the lake. And I'm like, what, what? possible explanation you know the only explanation the sphere earthers have at that point we'd have to go back to physics of the air because mm -hmm. they would claim that um because the, the like they would claim that the air right over the lake is somehow warm and it's causing light to uh, be, it should be 20 feet above their head but because of terrestrial refraction mm -hmm. the light gets bent down and and it just magically ends up that it bends down <laughs> so that it's two inches above the lake the same you know where it was on the other side of the yeah. lake and it's it, they they really have to stretch um you really have to have a stretch of the imagination mm -hmm. to have an answer for these lasers being shot over lakes 200 400 miles yeah. and every single time the laser is at the same height uh, on one side as it is on the other, and there's there's zero there's zero uh, geometrical <laughs> geometric curvature um, right. from the Earth causing the laser to then uh, go go up on the other side of the lake and and you know be be hitting them here instead of down at the two inch mark. So that that is probably my second strongest proof. Um, okay. For uh, for physics of the air, uh, I have a very detailed breakdown of this with um, 14 pages of mathematics to the backup theory. Um, so if you're interested in that, go ahead and check out my channel for more for a real detailed explanation. But a basic one is we'll um, share that. that in the show notes, and it's Ryan Zem on YouTube. Is that right? Uh huh. Yeah, just my name, Ryan Zim, yep. Z E H M, and the um, basically light. Uh, most all sphere earthers assume that light within our atmosphere is traveling in straight lines. And examples of people who assumed that are Eratosthenes. Um, so with his infamous well experiment, or you know, stick experiment. Uh, to prove this, the spheres, the Earth is a sphere and the size of it. Um, in those experiments, they assume that light is traveling in a perfectly straight line and that uh, within our atmosphere. And mm -hmm. and um, when we look at stuff, uh, for example, if we look up at the sun or the moon we assume that that's where the object where the moon is physically at mm -hmm. um and and that's also wrong it's it's in a different place it's either higher or lower than than where we see it but uh so so basically the only place where light travels in a straight line and at the speed of light three um what is that 300 million meters per second or whatever 
is in outer space in a vacuum. And the atmosphere supposedly goes 6,200 miles out. So that's where the exosphere merges with the solar winds. So at about 6,000 miles away from Earth, light waves from the sun would would uh, begin to start curving. And um, because they're they're encountering a media that's that's dense and that causes the light wave to slow down for one. And it also causes it to start following a curve. Could we, I think that we're good with the- Yeah, matter. we're good, yeah. Could we switch gears a little <laughs> bit? Because I really want to know about Hyperborea. What? Yeah, definitely. What is that was, there? That was the, right. Well, that was my- <laughs> Our original interest in, you know, was going to Antarctica and so uh, North Pole as just a boring old training. And mm-hmm. as, you know, at the time I was, uh, you know, oh, over the years as I've been trying to figure out how is it going to be possible to do an Antarctic expedition, um, the are you doing for, it by yourself or do you have some comrades yeah. coming? No, just you. No, well, they're. <laughs> Um, there may be a small team, but at the moment, uh, yeah, probably just me and the, uh, but, um, there's other, other people have, have soloed the North pole of Borgia Ausland has. So, um, but, uh, you know, as I was preparing for the North pole, I really was studying lost history, uh, high, Tartarians, right? And mm-hmm. um, would love to hear about that. <laughs> that came. That brought me to start look, taking a closer look at Hyperborea, which is the four mystical lost islands at the at the North Pole, which are on basically every map um, up into about 150 years ago, and uh, then they just completely took it off the map. But um, for thousands and thousands of years if there's really that many in our timeline but (laughs) in the uh thousands and thousands of years all the maps um going back to even before christ have always shown four islands at the north pole and not just maps um texts and going back to ancient ancient texts they've they've all written that there are four islands at the north pole and um that uh, they're called the hyper you know the hyperboreans uh there and, there's like a population there right and that there's a there's not just islands that there's an entire race of people that are called the hyperboreans mm-hmm. are they good they, people or no, okay. <laughs> they're like they're, they're like uh they've always described as basically perfect they oh, they're wow. so friend like they're um extremely friendly and the uh I'll share my screen for just yes, a moment here. Please. Well, yeah, I might. Do I need to make you the? Uh, let's see here. I have to switch it. Switch host. And just I'll just share a couple clips here about the um, Hyperboreans. Okay. To um. Don't take my word for it. We should turn to history for what they have to say about the... Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay, here we go. I'm going to do share screen. Here we go. And I think you can see it now. This is uh, my website, destinationhyperbory.com. I have an article on here called Lost Islands. And 
Here's we'll share Mercator. that in the show notes for sure. Yeah, blog posts, a couple blog posts about it. But here we can see the four islands, the North Pole. Interesting, it's right under a, you know, Masonic, a, uh, <laughs> Masonic <laughs> symbolism yes. here. Another one to notice is that the, um, oh yeah, the, the hand pose the is making hand. The, the W where the two middle fingers are together. Um, I'm not sure the exact meaning of that, but one thing it certainly makes is an M. But anyways, moving on, let's, we, we get another one here, a map. This is uh, the Prioris Hemisphere I from 1592, um, four islands with the rock in the middle. And that rock in the middle is described as uh, being 33 <laughs> miles in circumference yeah interesting number but, uh, <laughs> here we go we get behind these mountains and beyond the north wind there dwells if we can believe it a happy race of people called the hyperboreans and here they live to an extreme old age and are famous for legendary marbles here are believed to be the hinges on which the firmament turns and the extreme limits of the revolutions oh, of the stars okay. so this is you know um, this is certainly saying that the Earth is flat if the if the North Pole is the hinge on which the firmament turns. Okay. Obviously, the center being the exact center of Earth. And general uh, genial region with a delightful climate and exempt from every harmful blast. The homes of the natives are the woods and groves. So in another one here, talking about Hyperborea in Latin, it says beyond Russia to the north is a Hyperborean nation, which is named for the great mountains called the Hyperboreans. And the nation lives in the woods because of the health of the air, a long lived nation until they disdain death. Uh, I, I guess that just means they live a very long time. Of the best customs, a quiet and peaceful nation guilty of no one, nor troubled by any other nation, but they flee to it as an asylum and how to the most temperate region can be there. I have already touched on the complex nature of the road's climate. So it's saying that don't be convinced that just because there's ice near the North Pole, that there isn't a beautiful temperate region mm -hmm. where there are woods and, and groves and obviously a, um, a good enough climate to, <laughs> to uh, enjoy the outdoors. And these accounts are from people that went there, I'm assuming? Yes, yeah, is that, is that I, a book? Is that what that is? Various, each one has a link. So this one okay. was from the Natural History of the El, of uh, Pliny the Elder, which is from 77 AD. Um, so the, the, the link to it is, is over underneath of each one. The map here, Prioris Hemisphere I from 1592. So, so is, a, is it because it's a hard place to reach? Like, for example, Columbus came here, I guess. Why didn't he go over there? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, would I would assume because it's such a hard area to reach and you have to, you'd have to have, um, you know, they had a very hard time getting through the Northwest Passage alone and you'd okay. have to be able to get through, you know, Iceberg uh, and Amundsen the first guys down to Antarctica in a boat, um, Scott, well, Scott and those guys, you know, they, uh, they barely had a ship good enough by, you know, 19, early 1900s, 1911 for Amundsen. And, um, 
So, you know, we just barely in the last 150 years have gotten boats good enough to get us to Antarctica, uh, which would also you would need it to get uh, up to Hyperborea. Mm-hmm. You couldn't just fly there and land, you know, <laughs> or there is it well, protected. We like we can the... now, right? And uh-huh. so as soon as as soon as we had the ability to get there, um, Hyperborea completely disappeared on the off the map, and and the narrative changed to that there's four islands there to there's there's nothing there, and oh. it just it makes you question. So going on before I stop screen sharing, I'll. Um, another account of it here describing a fertile paradise, which they called Hyperborea, located beyond the birthplace of the North Wind. And some medieval, it's getting into the Antichrist that you were here and talking about Nephilim. But the, um, so, and then here's a few maps of it. Of course, this is the most famous one, Mercator's map. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen that one already. Here's another one from 1492 with the four islands around the North Pole. And showing that it's even connected by land, or used to be at one point, if the maybe the water level has gone up. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one's also from Urbano Monti's Plains Fear 1587, which is a uh, which is a pretty famous flat Earth map, which I will mention has dinosaurs down here. Oh. Um, I am not a person who denies dinosaurs. I actually think they were real. Okay. I think that the Bible accounts for them in Genesis 6, 4, but it's interesting when you look at a map from that is that old, right? 1587, which yeah. predates every single fossil find of dinosaurs. In other words, there was nobody had ever found a dinosaur fossil at this point, but mm-hmm. somehow he draws something that looks almost identical to a triceratops. Oh, yeah. And uh, fighting with another, I forget the name of this one. Um, and yeah, for I'm the not people good with my dinosaur. Yeah, our son. If we bring our 13 year old, and so and for someone to say that these are just lizards, they're not dinosaurs. I'm going to point to the fact that we have a pterodactyl right here carrying an elephant. So <laughs> okay. these are there certainly <laughs> uh, uh, certainly. Um, so anyway, interesting that we got dinosaurs on this map before any dinosaur fossils were Very ever found. So, so now, but, um, can I ask you a question, ahead. though? And so we we kind of started this podcast around, um, uh, when I say Fabi and I, we, we started the the overall idea of this podcast. We were, we were questioning, you know, stuff that was going on with the pandemic mm-hmm. and stuff. And, and so, you know, we, we've really dove in around, you know, our virus is real and things like that. And, and one thing when I when I see stuff like that, I always like to ask. In fact, I've got the same questions around Tartaria. Is I'm always interested. Is what do the um, historians or the detractors what what are what is their excuse? Because we know like the the like when we talk about the virus uh, uh, narrative, we know their response and it's pretty weak, you know. And I and I wonder. Are there are people just ignoring this? There really aren't historians that are even discussing that's it. it. That, that's what it is. That's it. There's there. They turn a blind eye. Anything that doesn't align with basically the evolution theory and um, you know, the Earth is five hundred billion zillion years old, whatever they want to. Anything that doesn't align with that or something that didn't line up with their um, carbon dating and the dates don't align, they you know, they either come up with a theory to 
discredit it. Yeah, let's say let's say a carbon dating on a dinosaur fossil said, you know, two thousand years ago. Well, then they would say, well, the only reason that is is because x y or z there was a catastrophe here and it messed up the carbon dating and uh, now we need to add this formula onto it now and we're back to four let's make it more old. complex so, sounds a lot like virology <laughs> <laughs> on a topic like this like um for a map like this which is showing you know something which uh, especially with the pterodactyl carrying the elephant uh it's kind of yes. hard to say that this is anything except a pterodactyl um and and by the way there was had never been a pterodactyl fossil found so the question is how did this uh, you know how what do we, what do we what, how, how did the guy come to draw this on his map or, or draw these things on their map if, if they're just lizards and the questions like this asked to um academia uh, basically gets no responses and it gets to the point uh, like with my horizontal refraction research that i like okay i need to hire these guys because they won't re you know they're no physicist is going to give me uh the time of day when mm -hmm. i'm trying to ask them about what happens to to the vision you know the visual uh, experience mm -hmm. when i'm up at a high elevate you know they're it doesn't pay him any money to, you know, to, to, to to work with me on that. And he thinks I'm crazy because if it was true, everybody at school would already know it and talk about it. Right. So when it comes to topics like this, they they don't want to talk about it. It doesn't pay them to talk about it. And the whole reason they're going to school and get a, get a you know, degree is so that they can get a job and get paid. So that's, you know, stuff like this doesn't interest them because there's no, it's not attached to anything that's really going to help them excel in their uh, in their grades or studies, and it's also not going to help them at, uh, in the workplace. They're not going to get grants, right? Right, exactly. And the yeah. um, oh, you were talking about this, so we're going to put you in the blacklist right here. <laughs> yeah, and it, yeah, it certainly isn't going to help them with their professor to come and do uh, you know to present a theory of the theory of horizontal refraction, which essentially says that when you're done that uh, the surface of earth is flat like it's the narrative crumbles it, it, yeah just, they're <laughs> not going to get good grades so they don't want to talk about it and and generally from from uh you know academia you get uh you just they they, they just don't talk about it yeah. they're, not, they're not too interested in it it's anything conspiracy related or right um doesn't align with the official history like tartarians they're like they just turn a blind eye and um so now are the tartarians related to the hyperboreans at all is there any relationship there or they're just yeah. separate okay so they are yeah they're um i found connections between the hyperboreans and and just to let me do a quick screen share here to finish up i don't know why on. the the story with the hyperboreans reminds me a little bit of you know the land that wonder woman <laughs> came from where you know yeah. the humans couldn't see it and they were well, super strong and they have superpowers it's kind of what they were saying in that uh, text we were reading earlier that they kind of almost had mystical powers it was kind of saying ah. so the uh but um various maps i've linked to here we can see parts of the island here we, these are islands of hyperborea mm -hmm. north of, north of alaska actually here's america and and Canada and then we get the Hyperborea Island. So is Hyperborea like the Eden that we were kicked Gar out of? <laughs> Garden of Eden. If it from my research, if the Garden of Eden has a physical location, then it would be at the uh, 
yeah, it would be Hyperborea. Oh, and okay. um, so if we were kicked out of there, I'm not sure if okay. we're allowed to go back here. <laughs> or maybe the Tartarians were like. <laughs> maybe I'll find a flaming sword. I know, hope spinning, they will let like... you win. <laughs> so um, you can so tell us all about it. Here's what the uh, history, you know, we can see what history has told us about what is at the North Pole. So let's turn to modern day map. Let's do it. To Google Earth. Thank and, you. Um, and this is what, like, this is what we get now. It's, you know, there's a big, there's a big circle there. So, um, mm -hmm. and you can see that there's not, they haven't actually taken satellite photos up here. It's just, um, it's, it's actually fake imagery. And to, mm -hmm. uh, to help prove the point, I'll open up Google Earth real quick. And the, uh, we can take a look at the North Pole. The problem here is that the North Pole has ice 24 hours a day, of course. Um, yeah. What I'm trying to say is 365 days a year. Mm -hmm. In the summer, around, around uh, June, July, the ice starts breaking up but it's still there. So what, if my screen sharing, I think, yeah, what we're seeing right now is complete CGI. And the reason mm -hmm. why is everything here is ice. And right now it's July, so it's starting to break up. But if there was real satellite photography of this area of earth, we would see big, huge chunks of ice. I asked that question, I'm like, place. what happened to the North Pole? <laughs> Where you is see, the ice at? Yeah, it's, where is the ice? There's never a time when it's ice free. It's it always has ice. You just right just right now the ice has is broken apart and there's little channels. And if you're trying to ski there, it's annoying because you have to uh, get into a kayak and go mm -hmm. 20 feet and then get on a piece of ice and ski for maybe a couple miles and then get off and get back in the kayak and go. So, but the point is that there's ice all over the place here. We can't see. So the what I'm saying is that this map is fake and this water that we're seeing might be a little accurate as far as elevation data if they've scanned it with a submarine or something but the picture that we're seeing is fake because there is no ice there so this we we don't get any real basically uh photos of the north pole we can't go look at google earth and see what's there and right. that's when i started to say well what about marine traffic? Can I take any boats to the North Pole? And mm -hmm. that's out of the question. There are no boats that come anywhere near. Mm -hmm. um, this is a map from that shows the ice at the North Pole from NASA, right? So if Google Earth was accurate, we would be seeing ice. If it was real satellite photos, we'd be seeing pictures of the of ice like this. Yeah. Um, all at the North Pole area. And then here we have the... Uh, Air, here is because um, that's what I was gonna recommend to you. Can you just get a charter flight? To the well, North here's the boats, <laughs> and then here's the flights, and yeah. so uh, flights don't even really go much far past. What is the deal? Uh, Why don't you, they? <laughs> so, so that's that's where I started to um, ask the question of what's you know if i can't take a boat close enough to see the four islands of hyperborea and i can't take an airplane close enough to where i could look down out of the window and see the islands of hyperborea mm -hmm. then uh, what you know how how am i 
I can't find any satellite photography of the North Pole where the four islands would be at. What we get on Google Earth is fake. <laughs> so if, you know, am I to, of all the thousands of years of maps that uh, that we looked at, or at least hundreds of years of maps there on that page, um, am I going to call all of the thousand year of, of um the cartographers uh, stupid and incorrect right and only in the past 50 to uh 100 years we you know we've with our great knowledge we've just now discovered that the um for that everyone throughout history has been completely wrong mm-hmm. and these first-hand accounts of meeting because they people, had no technology back then well, and I guess the other the, the other thing that just dawns on me is, and I haven't looked at the the maps at length, but I mean, we could see how accurate they are with everything else, right? And say, okay, well, mm-hmm. why are they a hundred percent or ninety eight percent accurate everywhere else, and then they're just totally out to lunch <laughs> with the North Pole? You know what I mean? Right. Uh, yep. so, so I wonder, I mean, I, I, can I pose that question to you? I mean, I, again, I haven't looked at the rest of me. Is, is the rest of the map, does it look pretty um, as we understand it? or or They're, they're, they're pretty close. Yeah. And then you got to add rising and lowering ocean. We right. can't say that in 1500, you know, so 500 years, 600 years ago, that the ocean must have been exactly where it's at now. You know, right. sometimes California, for example, shows that it's an island or that it has that big uh, Baja Peninsula that like going down into Mexico. But sometimes even California is shown as an island. And, and, and I look at that and say, oh, they got it wrong. California's not an island. Right. And then I say, well, wait a second. You know, this when they mapped it, first of all, 500 years ago, then they before that they had to be out sailing for something like 100 years getting getting that information before they got back and drew it into one big map. Right. So, so, so anyways, it's five, six, 700 years ago. Do I know what was happening in California or should I assume that it has the same ocean level that it does now, or that it wasn't an Island? I don't know. It could have easily, um, ocean levels could have easily yeah. you know, mm-hmm. risen or fallen. Could have been different so. back then. That's right. So now back to the Tartarians. <laughs> Hyperboreans and Tartarians are Tartarians descendants of Hyperborea. They're their own people. Who are the Tartarians and what happened to them? Well, from all the research I've done, <laughs> very extensive. Right. Um, at least at least through historical texts, I'm able to trace the Tartarians back to the lost 10 tribes of Israel. So about 700 BC, when, when the 10 tribes got kicked out of Israel and they had to go across the Euphrates river somewhere to the Northeast, um, they went, uh, they, they went up to the area of Arzareth, which is on the other side of the Bering Strait from America. And, um, and they settled there and they, that was uh, kind of the birthplace of, of Tartaria. And, and that was 700 BC. So over the next 700 years and um, up to Christ and, and then after Christ, they, depending on what point in history you're at, mm-hmm. they, uh, they are called Tartarians. 
And um, a part of that is definitely the Mon Mongolians and Genghis Khan. Mm -hmm. um, Would you share that page that you have about Tartaria with the pictures, with the architecture, their magnificent buildings? And, and, and Ryan, when did you start uh, learning about Tartaria? Because one question I have is well, about five, probably about five years. It's got to be about five years now. Okay. Because I was just wondering, you know, we've been, I, I would say, pretty um, connected into, you know, hidden truth type conversations, you know, since, you know, not long after 9 11. And, right. and, and uh, this Tartaria thing seems like, at least for us, it's, it's just, I'm like, it didn't what? exist. And then all of a sudden it's everywhere. Yeah. And I'm wondering, right. I'm, I'm, did something specific happen that all of a sudden it's gaining, um, you know, traction or, or was there a new... Is Trump Tartarian? Discovery? John, <laughs> John Levi's channel, like the, 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 all I can say is John Levi's channel blew up. And okay. that, that really exposed, at least from my eyes and what, what I've seen as far as why there was such a... a, a pop in that topic was I, I don't know why or what caused that i okay. just I, I was subscribed to john levi for a long time and i loved his videos and sometimes he i think he um goes overboard with his theories but that's mm -hmm. okay i mean it's mm -hmm. it's probably good to think way outside of the box and then say, okay, maybe I need to come back a little bit, but yeah. the, but, but um, maybe when you're way outside of the box is where you also get a, some great inspiration. So there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, uh, but uh, anyways, uh, um, in, his channel was smaller and, and, uh, at, and some point, you know, he just, he went from, from like a, less than 10,000 subscribers up to, I don't know, he's got to be close to a hundred thousand or something now. Hmm. And that, that like the timing of that was hand in hand with the a greater surge in the, in the, in the, in the um, interest in, in Tartaria. So what behind the scenes, what really drew that? I, I'm, I'm not sure, but it was great to see a lot of, uh, public interest in in the topic finally because was there like a reset a with them or um because they seem like from what i've read and looked into your website a little bit that they were like this great nation they they had a huge population and yep. then they came to the americas they were here when the natives were here there's a lot of evidence i mean evidence i don't know if i can call it evidence but if we're talking about architecture i mean there's a lot of really different magnificent architecture even like the city i'm from rio you know downtown rio has all these buildings and you're like everybody else is on a cart and a horse how in the heck did they build that right how did this yeah how did it happen and the same thing yeah. in the united states we have you know the world fairs where uh, it's not just san francisco and chicago uh, you know it's it's everywhere it's there it was in um, omaha nebraska you've mm -hmm. got you've got this architecture that looks like it's been plucked right out of Europe and dropped into America. You've got it up in Canada. Canada also, you know? yeah. You've got um, towns with, I forget the numbers, but like 600 people and they have a library that is 
the size of, you know, the, the grand cathedral in Paris or something, you know, it's like, and you're looking at this thing, like, why, how did these people build this thing Yeah. for, and they have six or 700 people in the town. This is a library for yeah. 700 people, you know, and it's, um, in the world fairs, you have magnificent buildings like this and they're repurposed for the most ridiculous things like, uh, you know, the, the milk, this is the milk and dairy building, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like, more grand architecture than anybody nowadays could ever think about building and it looks like that it was more like the people who got off of the mayflower and the nina pinta and santa maria like they just came in and and almost and seems to have inherited cities of grand architecture Mm -hmm. um and so how that ties in with and they claim they built it right in like seven years uh, or yep their, their stories of being able to build those things are preposterous. There's mm-hmm. no way, um, if that's true, then we as a human race have degraded so much that yeah. uh, we need to take a serious look on, on how we are degrading so badly mm-hmm. um, physically. Uh, but, but no, just the height, the sheer mass, and then there's practically no photos of any construction and then they're just up overnight and uh, build the entire city of Chicago or Chilaga mm-hmm. in a f- time frame of a year and a half, including mm-hmm. subways um, beneath the buildings to transport people from one building to the next. And they just, I mean, it's, it, it, it's, um, so were they like the Atlanteans then, the Tortarians? Did they have like technology? Because I, I was I looking, I, you are not sure. I don't know if the, at the moment I've, uh, if anything, I would say at this point that they knew how to harness what in <sighs> India, India they call prana, mm-hmm. which is, which is, which is energy. Mm -hmm. um we absorb it with our lungs and uh my if they did have energy i think it was it was the energy of prana Mm -hmm. not so much electricity we most people kind of say oh they had free energy so they were running 110 volts through through through." like no i don't think they were using electricity at Mm -hmm. all um Mm -hmm. at the same time i've seen a lot of weird photos of boats and stuff that have a strange dual mast that has no purpose they're not they're not steam stacks um and then the boat has no sails and no engine so i'm looking at these boats like how uh how did these things move they don't have sails they don't have engines Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's Mm -hmm. just these two magnetic looking things uh, do you have some pictures there of that yeah i'll pull those up here awesome uh, let me pull up my pictures of boats one second here. But yeah, the. Uh... Well, for, for, for people listening who might be unfamiliar with this Tartaria thing, I mean, and again, I, I won't admit that I, I know much about it. But what I've learned is quite intriguing, which, you know, kind of similarly to the um, Hyperborea topic, which I'm brand new to as of just this week. Um, but but uh the Tartaria thing is interesting because there's a lot of uh, uh, historical references to this region and uh, the people. And 
um, it seemed like it was a, a major player in a then, thriving society. And I, I think in one of your in one of your videos, Ryan, you you show like the mentions and history of it, and then it just kind of trickles down, it just trickles and down, then and goes, goes away. away. And it's like, yep. well, how can you be mentioned in publications, you know, at this high level, and now you're not mentioned at all? Was what, that a reset? <laughs> what, what is yeah, that about? The, you know, some sometimes I. I, you know, there's the, in Christianity, they have the concept of people being raptured for what revelation oh, calls a harvest. Right. And I'm like, where were they raptured or what? I can't, I don't know where they went because it doesn't seem that they were the Indians, you know, unless, mm -hmm. unless what happened here with the Indians is just such a complete lie and fabrication. Maybe, maybe they didn't have guns and we came in and just killed everybody. There are massive bone piles in the U.S. that they blame on the native americans as using them as uh, burial sites like just huge piles of bones and so anyway I, I wondered if they you know maybe killed them all threw them all into these huge piles and then said like these are ceremonial bulb piles that they've been throwing bones in for hundreds of years and um and then just took over the cities did world fairs and and then just wrote history books that said like these people were all savages living in teepees and um and basically, and then they did live that way because they got kicked out of their cities and they couldn't come back. This, of course, the cities were guarded by police and um, people with guns and, and uh, they, you know, essentially got kicked out. So I don't know how that, you know, and, and it's, it's hard to figure out, but I would, I do have some pictures. Am I sharing the screen here? Yeah. And um, I'll just go through this little folder because it's all, I think all the pictures of boats are in here. At least some of them are. Um, this is a great book. I look it up on archive.org called American Antiquities and Discoveries in the West and evidence that an ancient population of civilized nations different entirely from the present Indian people in America uh, centuries before its discovery by Columbus. So in other words, Tartarians, uh, here we have the entire entirely different population, different from the present Indian people who lived in America centuries before its discovery by Columbus. And we, of course, found their cities. Yeah, Here's a picture of one of them. This is called, uh, this is uh, Chicago or, or Chilaga is the Chilaga was the uh, old name. And there's even on a one like that, you can see up here, there likely could have been a spire. I don't know, but it, the, um, it does say America carved in over here. And I think that, you know, it's possible they, they could have just uh, sanded it down or, or filed it down or just replaced it with another piece of stone and put in their own engraving for example where they put in the palace of mechanic arts but even in a picture like this you're looking at you know like these little ladders running up here and here and supposedly construction just got done and it's like man how how did they build this thing with these little ladders and guys running around <laughs> it doesn't you know now do you know ryan what maybe you mentioned it and i missed it does it have this dated this picture this this picture is um eight it, it is dated um it's 1898 i believe if i'm it's either it's within a year of 18 okay not late, late 18 or 18, yeah. 1893 i'm sorry 1893 the turn of the century the about chicago yeah. world fair and so yeah this is chicago another picture of chicago here 
Um, and then when they get done with the fair, right, they just burn the whole thing to the ground and they say, well, we didn't need that architecture except for the fair. So now the fair's over, we're just going to burn it down. And that's what oh, we see gosh. here. They just destroyed the whole thing because, and this is what was left wow. of it, right? Yeah, and, and that doesn't make any sense. So, yeah, whatsoever. That, uh, it, now, this now, this is, this now, this is this 1894, w- by the way. So the, the previous picture I showed you was 1893. This is taken in 1894. Wow. This is what's left a year later. You can see this is probably the, um, see the column standing up here? Mm-hmm. That's probably this one right here. Mm-hmm. You know? So now, Ryan, this, um, the, the pictures here, now I, I don't know much about Chicago history, but I mean, weren't there, weren't there famous Fires. fires, accidental fires, but this isn't one of them. This isn't one um, of them. Okay. The, the one in 1894 that burned down the entire white city, which is the fairgrounds. Um, that that's not one of the ones that was started by knocking over the kerosene lantern. I used to, I grew up in New York, you know, we had to have kerosene lanterns over there for when the power went out and it was always, we had to always be really careful. And we, uh, we always, <laughs> my parents always reminded me about some of those fires that were started like, in Chicago <laughs> by knocking over kerosene lamps and, and killed half not, the city. No, let's not burn down New York. <laughs> so multiple times, including uh, Los Angeles or San Francisco, which has another magnificent city like this, right? They, um, they all burned down right after the fair was over within, within one year, they, uh, completely torched every single city, um, this is a report of the president of the board of directors of world plumbing exposition. This is the 1893 Chicago world fair. And the chairman is called DeWitt C. Krieger, who you're going to find out is uh, M.W. brother DeWitt C. Krieger, the Esquire Grand Master of Masons of Illinois, and the late president of the Masonic Board of Chicago. And that's one of the first steps taken from the formation of the um, company that was formed for the World Fair to to execute the World Fair. Of course, it's being run by Freemasons and the authorized capital of $5 million in 1893 was divided up and that money was placed in the credit of our Grand Lodge, the Masonic Lodge, and every dollar is on our treasury. So if you're wondering who does these World Fairs and who claims that they built all this, and then directly turn around and burn it all down because it's useless architecture for mm-hmm. only one purpose of doing a little fair to rake in $5 million to put in the Grand Lodge's fund. That's, um, we can trace that all back to free. Wow, look this at that. Is San Francisco, they had electric lighting. There's a possibility that even the lighting uh, wasn't electric. It might be a different type of lighting. Wow. This is a fountain that they have. I mean, and just think about the level of plumbing um, not only plumbing, but electric, electric, right? Plumbing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it, now, this is where it gets absolutely insulting. <laughs> this is a stone sphere that's been carved out of stone. It's a perfect sphere. Okay. And it's been hollowed out. It's, it's a hollow stone sphere. That is so perfectly spherical that when the water sprays on this fountain, that stone sphere spins wow. and it has lights on the inside. Wow. And you can see the snake here pointing up. These spray water up onto it 
and the force from the water from the fountain makes this thing spin and it's lit from the inside now how in the heck in the, the middle of the wild west they're trying to build a city who decides that we're gonna carve a perfect sphere out of stone? we need a big giant rock ball that's hollow somebody find somebody to do inside. it and we're gonna smash it to pieces as soon Next as the world sphere is done, we don't, we, we, we don't have any room. This is America. We're out of room. We don't have any room. Here you can see the water spraying up from the snake's mouth onto it. That's so beautiful. Um, Who is this lady? Apologies for the in, uh, profanity. It's somewhat a little slip going on here. But the thing you should look at is that this is from the World Fair. And they mm -hmm. say they just built it. Look at the street. Oh, yeah. Look at, the, look at the grass growing up over here. Yeah. Look at how old this road is. That it is... didn't just get built. It's been that, a minute. That, that oh, my gosh. What is of that? The city. Oh, this wow. is the city of San Francisco before it wow. got completely destroyed and burned to the ground That's because the fair so was over beautiful. and they didn't need it anymore. Oh, my. Um, and gosh. not to mention that everywhere you go through here, there's such intricate detail carved into every little wall, corner. And, uh, there's fountains there's these carved out spheres of stones here we go this is the fair is over so we're just going to bomb it and um burn it all to the ground this are we is, sure uh, gavin newsom wasn't involved somehow this is okay so here we go this is the city of san francisco before columbus got to america and this is the city of San Francisco. <laughs> oh my God. I know, I know a lot of you are listening <laughs> via the podcast and I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to want to go to the link for the video on this just to compare these photos. Cause you'll be like, what in the fuck? I mean, what on <laughs> earth would they, would they do? There's no, there's no sense in, I mean, these people are living in tents. <laughs> yep, and, and you can look down here and they're going by horse and buggy and this, and it's like, they built all of that with just, horse and buggy in a matter of one year yeah um so let uh switching back a few uh if you're wondering what's the context of all these pictures feel free i've to seen your video with some of these switch over to my channel yeah. and talks about them this is christopher columbus showing most likely uh, an encounter with the tartarian with the native american sitting in the back in the hammock which looks like they're <laughs> trying to roast him and eat him <laughs> but um but here, uh, here we go. Here's some of the ships. Okay. Oh wow. Um, what is the? What is the? Nobody, no, no one's really able to explain what is the purpose of these, of these metal things on top. But they're showing that they light up. They call these sometimes light ships, and these things light up like super bright lights. And at the same time, you're not going to find any motor or engine or cell now this one obviously taking the cells down right um for for repair uh but here's here's another one um there's no cells at least that aren't up and they've got the two metal things at the top there's no engine or because there would be a stack if there was an engine mm -hmm. so i don't you know and maybe we get one here in san francisco on the top of this building that's very similar it has that same kind of metal yeah. circular cage on the top of it so if it's some sort of energy or you know device I, they may be they may have been trying to collect it in these buildings with all these weird spires on the tops and these metal cages i'm i'm not sure here's a picture of um of a, of a flying ship with with kind of like four of them running yeah and uh another picture here of san francisco and 
uh, going, <laughs> sorry, my pictures are in the wrong order. No, going no back problem. to this fountain mm-hmm. that they say they just built. Mm-hmm. I took a closer look at it when I drained the water. And you can see down here that there's the stone is crumbling. There's cracks all over the place. Yeah. There's a, oh, I thought I had another picture of it. But anyways, looking closer at those. Um, right. Like I'm that sure that's fountain. because it's made of balsa wood. I'm <laughs> sure. Right, because, it's, because they made it out of stucco. <laughs> yes. and, uh, that's what they say these cities were made out of stucco. So, but I also want to, um, we may, uh, before we get too late on time here on the topic of the Tartarians, and I was trying to explain a little bit about Arzareth and the um, region beyond the Euphrates River. This is from the Bible, from the Book of Four Esdras. And it says that the Lost Ten Tribes, they went um, after they got kicked out of Israel. They went uh, over the river and it was a great journey of a year and a half. And the region was called Arsaf, which is correctly called Arzareth. Um, and on historical maps, such as this one, Arzareth, and all the maps, uh, every map you can ever find of Arzareth, it is located in Tartaria on the other side of the Bering Strait. Okay. And even right here, it says here the 10 tribes went after they got kicked out and they are tar- Tartarians. You can see the. They were the kicked ten, out? The 10 tribes were kicked out of Israel. They were. Um, the, I forget the name of the king, but he uh, ran the 10 tribes out of Israel. Yeah, that's, and then they became what is called the Lost 10 Tribes because after they left Israel in the year 700 before Christ, they nobody knows where they went. According to official history, they say we have no idea what happened to them. Okay. They just, they went, they went somewhere across the river and they got lost. And so since that time, I've discovered that it says they went to Arzareth. And that Arzareth is located in Tartaria. And then if I go back to study the history books, it says the Tartars about the year 1228 under the command of Genghis Khan, which is Genghis Khan, mm-hmm. overspread the earth like a flood. And so this explains why we have the same uniform architecture over the entire earth uh, mm-hmm. as in the in the terms of star forts, right? We have, in my opinion, star forts were probably created by all, all created by Tartarians. Um, including the one that's sitting underneath the Bellis Island that the Statue of Liberty is sitting on top of. Oh. If you look at that, you'll notice that it is a big star fort, which is the same exact architecture that you can find in South America, in Europe, Australia, uh, Russia, uh, every, like everywhere across the earth. That I, I think that there's a connection here between the Tartars overspreading the earth like a flood um, and star forts popping up all over the earth at some point, uh, probably around in the last 800 to 2000 or, you know, 2000 years, however old they are. So, but it says here that they're successors of the 10 tribes of Israel who were carried into captivity by King uh, Salamanza. So Tartary or Tartaria is a, seems to be a testimony thereof because that word in the Hebrew tongue means remnants or the, the last times and today the northern herb which was um 1670 so we're, we're talking not today but 400 years ago the uh, northern tartary herdsmen preserved to this day the names of dan zebulon and naphtali these are three names of the lost 10 tribes of israel so i'm not going to read in each and every one they're they're here on my website but okay. each one of these um from different periods of history, from 1670, 1611, are all saying the same thing, that the Tartars are 
from the ten tribes of Israel, and here again, um, one after the next, 1850, 1887, 1894. Um, so, so with at least early history of Tartarians, from, from this history that I've presented here is that they they originated from the lost uh, the lost ten tribes of Israel and okay. uh, when they went up to Arzareth where when they um, up here they began to spread out this way and if we look at the far north here we can see Naphtali and Dan so we know that the two tribes of Israel lost tribes of Naphtali and Dan ended up way very very close to the north pole and this is one um connection that i started to link in tartaria to the north pole is okay. that uh, here they're the tribes of natalia and dan are basically at the um getting very close to uh, where hyperborea would be at so so now ryan let me ask you in your opinion uh is there how would you rate the evidence for Hyperborea versus the evidence for Tartaria? I mean, would you say there's a lot more evidence for Tartaria or would you say, oh no, actually, I think they're, they're similarly uh, evidenced in history. Or Tartaria versus, I'm sorry. I, versus Hyperborea. Hyperborea. There's a lot more concrete evidence for Tartaria. Tartaria. Absolutely. Tartaria camping and nine. There's even CIA documents that talk about unclassified CIA documents that talk about um, how they're going to cover up the history of Tartaria. And uh, I and, saw that uh, on your tied website. In, tied in with the Cold War and all that. And they're going to completely do away with Tartaria and, and, and all Tartaria history will become Russian history. And so, you know, and going back through history, like the map I was just looking at, which is a map of Tartaria, it's like the, uh, there's no way that I can say right now with all of our science and proper history, we're so much start smarter than actual historians who wrote books and wrote and drew maps and said like, this is, an area called Grand Tartary, and the Tartarians live here who have their own religion, kingdoms, everything, you know, uh, the, to say that, that the people behind, um, who came before us are wrong because my history book out of, uh, out of college says something different is, uh, it's, it's just, it's crazy, crazy. That, that, that we could put ourselves on just such a high pedestal. And, yeah. And, with our and do you, ego think we're right because there is so much um kind of uh, uh you know discussion about this topic now are there a lot of people that are up in those areas like you showed on the map as far as where, where those are now um where you, you you mentioned the 10 tribes of israel i mean those probably are not very populated areas right they're 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 fairly, I don't know. I actually, I don't know it's the answer not, to that. It's okay. too far north. It's still like up there by the Bering Strait. I mean, that's on the other side of Northern Alaska. So, I mean, you're mm -hmm. talking Northern Alaskan type, but people don't like to hang around there and you can only get up there. Um, the, the ice or the snows off the ground, maybe a couple, one or two months out of the whole year. If that, if mm -hmm. it's not, you know, and, 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 and has permafrost so that the dirt is actually frozen. So going up and like trying to dig or something like that is. I just didn't know if, if, if uh, given, so. given, you know, the nature of the internet and everything and people coming together, if, if, uh, 
Um, There's some expeditions. Going well, on. I wasn't even going to say expeditions, but just, you know, have people that, that, you that think people live in that in Russia area. Go up and start finding architecture. And there's been some of that. I've, uh, I follow um, a couple of channels. Uh, some of them have just have died off, though. Um, started, one guy started playing video games. There was uh, <laughs> one, one of them was uh, Olav the Seeker, you know, and he seemed to be in an area where there's he could actually go out and and, and find um, some of this stuff and some of the things that he was filming uh was 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 pretty rad so there are some some people up in those areas looking into that stuff i think the problem is um another good friend of mine uh, streets of tartaria is the name of his channel and he's translating an entire series that's i think in german and um because it's such good information about this topic right but it's recorded in 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 german or uh maybe Russian. I don't remember which language. So it was, it's hard to, hard to follow. So there's definitely people doing work in that. I don't think it's getting over to the English audiences as, as well as it should be, because right now you would basically have to sit through a a Google auto translated subtitles, which are, which are hard to read sometimes. So. All right. Um, Well, so so yeah, not as much boots on the ground as, we should have and that's that's where i am with hyperborea it's like i wonder if it's there i'm not going to get there by a boat or an airplane so um in addition to getting great experience for going to antarctica um i also can go in and up and check and see if maybe hyperborea is actually there or if it's uh you know maybe not our history was wrong maybe it got covered with water Mm -hmm. um maybe there was earthquakes and it sunk uh, I don't. I don't know. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah if they or tore, maybe it's in another dimension. If, if they tore <laughs> yeah, those, could, yeah. exactly. <laughs> we may never hear from you again. You'll you'll be living with the Amazon. I hope not. I mean, you gotta tell the story. But to to wrap up, because I know we've taken a lot of your time already. Um, you wrote on your website, Destination Hyperborea, uh, a quote. It says, as Esqualunit, I humble myself to the Inuit. Christ Jesus has preserved his people for a time of trouble. Has thou entered into the treasures of the snow, and hast thou seen the treasures of the hail, which I have reserved for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war? And we hear so much now, you know, not just now, but especially now after the pandemic happened, uh, that there is a battle going on with uh, the darkness, you know, the evil and the light. And you hear a lot about the darkness, but you don't hear a lot about the light. And when you do... In Bible verses, they can be hard for a lot of people to understand or even trust. Is that book that was put in the Bible, is it the right book? Um, So what experience do, who are the troubled people? Can you tell us a little bit like that? Or who are the, um, you said the preserved people? Yeah, I don't know if that's the correct translation of that Bible verse and the Sometimes I think Bible verses can mean different things at different times. Um, but um, I'll share my screen for a moment once sure. again. And if I keep going on this article, 
on my website. It gets into Tartarian Christianity and talks about how the Tartarians, at least uh, after about um, 1200, were a Christian nation. And uh, Genghis Khan was a Christian man on a Christian conquest. And if you go look at Wikipedia for what religion Genghis Khan is, it will say Taoism or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but from history, we can find that, that, uh, that that's not quite true. He was a Christian. And um, the text on the screen now give hints of that. But uh, here in 16... Purchased program 1625 gives the account of how Genghis Khan had the vision of the white horse, which aligns with the opening of the first seal in Revelations. Um, I I don't know if there's a distinct correlation there or not, but um, everything lines up. The Tartars uh, were their main weapon was the bow and the arrow they fight on horseback the weapons are the bow and arrow they are very ready and excellent archers on horseback um foot they're slow and you know they're not as good with swords and whatnot they're they're indeed so skillful in the art of shooting uh, with their bows that they pierce all kinds of armor and this so they're one thing about the Tartarians, uh, at least around the year 1200, with Genghis Khan uh, coming out of his coming out of where they were imprisoned, um, they were basically fighting on horseback with bows. And Genghis Khan had a vision of a white horse, um, and the Tartars call him. Uh, their king at this point in history, it was Genghis Khan, the shadow of spirits and the son of the immortal God. And then they said, so was a... he Jesus or am I completely misunderstanding? <laughs> Let's hold that thought for just a moment. They, okay. they, set, a, they set a crown upon his head. Um, and Genghis Khan subdued all kingdoms and countries. And he went out westwards where where he, um, this is when he was having a vision, but he did the same thing right after this is that he went out to possess kingdoms and countries and subdue many nations. So Revelation 6, 1 is the opening of the first seal. And it says, now I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals and I heard one of the four living creatures saying in a voice like thunder, come and see. And when I looked at behold a white horse, he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. Mm -hmm. Genghis Khan lines up with every single one of those. He had the vision. Uh, he was mounted on a white horse, a horseman armed in white. Uh, his weapon was the bow and arrow. He fought as an archer on the horseback. And the Tartars called him the son of the, the son of God. And they set a crown upon his head. And uh, Chinggis Khan had subdued all the kingdoms and countries. Of course, we know that he was a magnificent conqueror. So the fact that Genghis Khan lines up perfectly with the opening of the first sale is, is just a fact. Does that mean there's a connection between Genghis Khan and Revelation? I don't know. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that uh, Genghis Khan was on a white horse. He had a bow. A crown was given to him. And he went out conquering the into conquer. Well, um, and you, you also point out in one of your videos that I had caught what, that... Uh, he actually is depicted as looking a lot different 
than mm-hmm. what we're somehow sometimes indoctrinated into thinking. You know, he's right. kind. Of, we're thinking he's kind of like a a thug warrior and and a lot of these other murder rape yeah yeah all this no let's uh you know and also we've seen the area on this map where the lost 10 tribes went right they went to arzareth this is where they ended up at mm-hmm. and so looking at a map of what's called christianography or all a, a map of the spread of christianity it's interesting that it doesn't really spread out from uh you know, from Israel, it actually spreads from Tenduk, where the Lostid tribes and the Tartarians went. <laughs> you can see here, it's many Christians. And then when you, as you get away, it's like some Christians, some Christians. And, and but the area, and not just this map, but historically, we can find that, um, and by the way, Muscovites are Tartarians. So here we get the Muscovite Christians, you know, it's mm-hmm. Christi- Christianity. And as you get over here, it gets into Protestant, Protestants, um, and then it also says down here in Asia, which is Tartaria, the Christians are under the patriarch of Jerusalem. So, in other words, the Tartar like Tartarians are a, is a massive Christian nation. That's, this is showing not oh, only that, but that Christianity Christianity spread from the place where the lost in tribes ended up, Tenduk. And here, uh, you'll notice that Tenduk, which this map tells us is many Christians, all right? Mm-hmm. And who is right next door? Mongol. Mm-hmm. Oh, so yeah. it's a massive area of Christians. And for to say that even on this map right here, uh, Tartaria by Jodocus Hondius, 1620. Switching over to it. Here we go. And we got Gog and Magog, which comes straight out of Revelations. But Tinduk, the region where Christians reigned about 1290. And look at right next door, we do have Magog at, at Mongol. So, you know, is there a connection between Mag, uh, Gog and Magog? I'm not sure. But the fact of the matter is that this area where the Mongolians come from is overrun with Tartarian Christianity. And mm. that it's spreading christianity is spreading from that area so um i am getting to answer your question uh, oh yes yes (laughs) go ahead go ahead no that's what i was gonna ask you answer my question we're getting to where to where the anuit come into play from from up by who live up by the north pole but the uh here are one account after the next that you see i am the emperor and lord of the tartarians and i'll be baptized in the face with the christians hold of this day there will be a perpetual peace between the tartarians and the christians and there will be a reverence that we bear for our lord jesus christ we're going to free the city of jerusalem and all of the holy land out of the hands of the pagans and restore it to the christians that's what the uh, Tartarians were doing. And this oh. emperor who is speaking is a son of Genghis Khan. So the Tartarian Christians of uh, Genghis Khan's reign and all of his sons were all Christians working for Jesus Christ and restore Jerusalem uh, to get it, like it says here, out of the pe- f- hands of the pagans and restore it to the Christians. But moving forward from here, I'm going to scroll down because there's just so much information. Let's do yeah. a quick recap of Genghis. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I've got to mention this. I've got to mention this. The uh, <laughs> Khan, K-A-A-N, mm-hmm. Genghis Khan, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. The K-A-A-N isn't a name. It's a title. 
It's calling him king and, and implies in our language, Lord of Lords. So there's two kinds. There's K-H-A-N and there's K-A-A-N. K-H-A-N is a king. Uh, K-A-A-N is a king of kings. So K-A-A-N was the title which Genghis directed his son. And so Genghis used himself, but then he directed his son and successors to assume. And it is explained in the dictionaries as in our text by the term Khan of Khans or Lord of Lords. Mm -hmm. So Genghis Khan, K-A-A-N, is calling him Genghis Lord of Lords. And it's very interesting because they call him Jesus, Lord of Lords. And here we got a genius, Lord uh, of Lords. And it's such, it's such a phonetic similarity that I have yes. a hard time getting past that. So let's recap. Genghis, who they call Khan, right? So Genghis, King of Kings and Lord of Lords is, uh, I'm not calling him that. History is calling him that. Genghis Khan means Khan of Khans and Lord of Lords. So Genghis, Khan, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Revelation 19, 16 says that on his robe and on his sign, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In other words, you could replace this K-A-A-N, on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written Khan. I don't know if that's correct, but um, one thing's for sure, we have Jesus, who is the King of Kings. He was born in Nazareth. He's called the Son of God, the Holy Ghost, and his body location is non-existent because Jesus ascended from the grave. We also have Jingus, who is... Genghis Khan, so mm -hmm. Genghis, King of Kings. Mm -hmm. He was born in Azareth. And that's funny because all you got to do is take the in away. Yeah. And you have Nazareth and Azareth. But coming from the area of Tinduk, this is called Arzareth. So, so Genghis is born in Arzareth versus Nazareth, which is basically the same exact name with except for them. In Adam, they called him the son of God. Um, that's referenced above. They called him the shadow of spirits, the son of the immortal God. Mm -hmm. uh, his body location is actually also non-existent. Genghis's tomb or body have never been found. If there is a body for Genghis Khan, uh, which there probably is, he probably was a man who died. Um, anyways, it's never been found. Nobody knows what. Wow. So those are some of the interesting things. Another. That's thing, amazing. <laughs> the Jesus's burial place, right? The Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Mm -hmm. um, when they first did the archaeological excavation of this place, it was dated to be no more than a thousand years old, which is. In other words, the when they dated uh, Jesus' tomb, they said it's about a thousand years old, and that's about when Genghis Khan died. So I don't, I don't know what the connections are there. I haven't come to a, <laughs> to a, a conclusion. To, to it's a just uh, very interesting. Yeah, it's yes. interesting, and you can't, especially with some of these, some of these parallels. It's it's hard to ignore it and say like, Oh, that's all coincidence. And right. Well, I, I think what, what is intrigue most intriguing to me is um, I'm, I'm, I'm assessing the programming, you know what I mean? And, and like I mentioned, we're, we're trained to think of Genghis Khan as this, uh, you know, uh, uh, barbarian, Yep. you know, and, and a very specific look, you know, uh, we, we know the Mongols have fantastic barbecue, <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, um, we're, we're, we're trained to think that, and we're also trained, really, if we want to think about Jesus, we're, we're trained to think of Jesus as, in a lot of ways, a white guy. Right. And, right. and, and he wasn't. 
right? There were no white guys when this all went down. But but I think all of us, when we when we envision him in our head, we 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 don't think of this really dark, complected guy. The history was repossessed, right? So yeah, and as a father, you know, Jesus is the father. We would we would picture a father that looks with the same skin color, kind of as ours, because we. We think that's what my father looks like. Yeah. So Jesus, the father, would would have the same skin color, right? So there's 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 that piece to it. Uh, of course, people um, people definitely look to God and Jesus as a as a father figure. Um, mm-hmm. But the uh, but yeah, he didn't. He wasn't though a Caucasian from Europe, like <laughs> like he's often depicted. Right. But but at the that. same time, what we were we were speaking of is that even. Genghis Khan has been pictured to look significantly mm-hmm. different, different, right? Oh, and yeah. and and maybe even maybe even to say more uh, more Caucasian than than we're trained to think he he, yep. he looked. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just an interesting, you know, this belief comes down to here, this belief comes here, everything kind of right. gets. It's like the whole history, <laughs> you know, it's up for grabs at this point. Yeah, you and and we're not going to piece it together unless. Unless we're out here trying to, you know, answer the questions and and um, mm-hmm. and the question you had asked that I take so long to ever try to answer. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. Going back to that that quote from the Bible and how it relates to the um, how it relates to the Inuit, the people of our North Canada, and that's that's where. So we've tracked Tartarians through history from. 700 BC to 1280, uh, 2000 years of Tartarian history. There's a lot more to go through than what we've talked about, but we've at least gone from the lost in tribes in the year named uh, 700 BC to where Genghis Khan came out of captivity and started conquering for Jesus Christ and Tartarian Christianity. And what happened after that? Um, It says that they overspread the earth like the flood. And then I think that, I think that's why we have, to account for star forts. But mm-hmm. here we have the uh, Thule migrations. And um, if you ever get into uh, the the Nazi area, the Thule society is certainly an interesting topic. But before that happened was the real Thule and the Thule migrations. And the Thule migrations is what led to the Inuit and the people who are up in far North Canada and Greenland right now. And if we traced where they came from originally, they came from uh, from Arzareth, uh, which means that they're, it means they're Tartarians, right? So when they overspread the earth, like a flood around the year 1000 or 1200, the books that we have referenced earlier about Genghis Khan say the Tartarians overspread the earth like a flood around the year 1200. Um, some, some the scientists say it's about a thousand years ago, uh, or the year 1000, not 1200, but anyway, somewhere around the year 1000 to 1200, they Tartarians started leaving Arzareth and going across the Bering Strait. Or actually, if you see this blue line here, they followed a land bridge that that goes over here, and that the ocean must have been lower at the time because they basically were able to follow a land bridge from Arzareth wow. all the way over here. But they came over around the year 1000 or 1200. Here we go, moving eastward around the year 1000 AD. And by 1280, the Thule had reached 
Greenland. So when it says Tartarians overspread the earth like a flood, they also, in addition to Genghis Khan going west and conquering all this, um, they also went east and started going into America. And this is called the Thule culture. These are the pre, the ancestors of the Anuit. And the, we call them the Anuit now. We used to call them Eskimos. But those are the people who oh, wow. inhabit the north, the far north of Alaska and Canada and Greenland and none of it, the name of their land and their language in uh, none of it means our land. So, so none of it is the land of the Anuit, um, but they, roughly between 900 and 1200, the, they started going out from Arzareth and going into Northern Alaska, Northern Canada and Northern Greenland. And the, um, there's various accounts of that here, uh, but we can see from Tinduk, the region where Christians raided in the 1290, that they went across the Bering Strait. And by the way, let's just take note that the, the, Anu the Thule, the predecessors of the Anuit, were Christians. This was a Christian nation. And the people who were crossing the Bering Strait into America at this time were a Christian nation who were out to conquer for, for Jesus Christ. Uh, the or for Genghis? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for <laughs> good question. Good, good, good point right there. <laughs> this so Great Tartary. They talk about the eastern regions near the Ice Sea and Mongolia here, right? So this is the route that the Greenlanders must have taken, and again, hence that the people, the Inuit, um, it's telling us right now that they came from the regions of Mongolia, and that okay. this is certainly tied to the. Uh, Genghis Khan overspreading the earth like a flood. Um, so, and they could stay. Oh, it says that when the the uh, Tartarians basically could stay there no longer in peace, uh, they were obliged to take themselves to America. So I don't know if they could, they left because they didn't have anywhere for peace. But anyway, it is saying that the Tartarians here, the Mongolians went uh, across the Bering Strait into America um, and we're getting right to the conclusion here because it says we can see the sim similarities between the language of Eskimos which is called the Nuktatut and that of the, the Tartars so even in the language that I've been studying so that I can speak with the Inuit called it Nuktatut um, there are there are similarities between that language and the language of the Tartars the, the Tartarian language wow. and the words more or less look alike. So in the conclusion, when I, well, I think I probably worded it pretty good here. The lost in tribes left um, Israel. They went to Arzareth. That happened about the year 700 BC. Over the next thousand or 1500 years, they became an immense world power, which was known as Grand Tartary. The Mongolians were a part of that and they were a Christian nation. They happened to believe that Genghis Khan uh, was the son of God. Scripture from Four Asdras, Daniel, Matthew, Revelation give this preposterous theory validity. Mm -hmm. um, it is not known whether the Thule people were fleeing the Mongolian expansions or if they were part of the Mongolian expansions. Regardless, Arzroth and Tinduk were Christian nations, and the Mongolian expansion was a Tartarian conquest for Christ Jesus. Um, the, the, so the conversion of the Inuit people to Christianity was so fast and complete, it's nearly inexplicable. And history has a hard time explaining how did the missionaries get off of the boats and all of a sudden, and they were like, hey, guys, Jesus Christ is here to save you. And like, next thing you know, 
the whole nation of Inuit are all Christian. Like the moment they heard about and they got their hands on a Bible because they didn't have one, mm -hmm. they immediately embraced Christianity and missionaries weren't needed to spread the word of God further into um, Northern Canada and Greenland because the Inuit people loved it so much and it resonated so deeply with them that they started, they're like, look, we thank you missionaries, but your job's done. We're, we're taking, <laughs> we're it taking over. That's you don't wild. need to go to the next tribe and convince them because we're already on our way there to tell them about it. And, wow. it, and it was done. So the, uh, so that's why it says here, what it was so fast and complete. It's nearly inexplicable. That's not my opinion. That's history has a hard time accounting for that yet. If we look mm -hmm. at our history, it seems that the Inuit whom originated in Arsareth were once a Christian nation. And perhaps the Inuit felt an ancestral or cultural bond to this new religion, which was being reintroduced to them by the missionary. So the Inuit have preserved their bloodline uh, much better than the people of Southern latitudes up in like far North Canada. There's not a lot of, uh, and I'm not necessarily against, you know, racial mixing. Um, right. mm -hmm. it's, it's just a fact that up there it's much, they've preserved their bloodline much better. They, mm -hmm. They're not, mm -hmm. you know, they're not. There's not a lot of diversity. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. we, we don't have, uh, you know, the, the Islanders uh, going up there to visit and, make, you know, it's just, it's basically just Inuit with Inuit with Inuit mm -hmm. um, okay. mixed in with a little bit of, uh, of, of white skin Europeans, you know, and missionaries and whatnot going up. But other than that, they've preserved their bloodline mesh better than people of more southerly latitudes because they were once Tartarians or the lost tribes of Israel. We might find among the Inuit, the most direct descendants of the patriarch Jacob. Um, ah. ja Jacob's bloodline are the 12 tribes of Israel. Right. So, so the most direct line bloodline to Jacob is likely preserved in the Anuit because the Jews over in Israel have have, have mixed quite well themselves, right? So, mm -hmm. so of of tartarians i believe the closest bloodline we have to tartarians are inuit and that the inuit are likely the closest um and cleanest and most direct bloodline of the descendants of the patriarch jacob now qualiumat just means white white uh, person that means big big eyebrows <laughs> so <laughs> in in inuit they call they call me i would be you know if i present myself to a I call myself a gringo in, in, in Spanish, right? Right. Um, so I in say, Portuguese as well. <laughs> right, right. So this is gringo. Same, call myself a gringo. Um, but as a Qualunat, I humble myself to the Anuit because I do believe that they have, you know, like I, like, so I humble myself to them for, for, the, for this reason alone uh, because they probably are the most direct uh, bloodline we have left that uh, leads to real Tartarians. Um, and I say Christ Jesus has preserved his people for a time of trouble. Yes. I don't know if, if that's a fact Is that or not. now? <laughs> and that's why I say, have you entered into the treasures of the snow? Have you seen the treasures of the hell? Oh. Which I reserve for a time of trouble for a, for a day of battle and war. What, what, 
you know, in, in terms of the Bible, what is a resource for battle and war? Well, it's people. He's not talking about an Apache helicopter, you know. Like, oh, yeah. by the way, I put a, I froze an Apache helicopter <laughs> there in the snow for you for the day of battle and war. So, you, you know, he's like, no, he's talking about people, right? And it's likely talking about spiritual warfare here. So um, I don't know what the treasures of the snow are or what the treasures of the hell are. Um, and what he has reserved for a time of trouble and for a day of battle of war. But if it, if, if what he has reserved for a time of trouble and day of war is, is people for spiritual warfare, then maybe, maybe there's, you know, a link there to the, maybe the treasures of the snow are the, are the Tartarians or the Inuit who have preserved their bloodline. Um, nice. So that's that to answer your question. That's what I mean there. Uh, awesome. I'm not say, saying that's the meaning of Job 38.22. That's just that's just one uh, far out. One uh, interpretation, one yes. Well, and this is just fantastic. Yeah, you've, you've, you've blown my mind in several I wanna ways. I want to commend you for such amazing, detailed historical work. We haven't seen that. Uh, as and yes, that although everything I referenced, the link's on the website. So if you think, uh, you know, if you're worried, I photoshops all that together um, go ahead and go to you know follow the links read the historical text because the great thing about that is uh there's a lot more than just what i showed i clicked a little tiny paragraph out of a book and there's an entire book to read so go read the entire book wow. and, uh, and that's you know then we can probably start piecing together uh some sort of a story about what our real history is amazing now, now ryan on that note do you want to uh let anybody know any uh, links that how can we support your journey just the two um there's destination hyperborea i tried to go and, and i failed um i wasn't expecting to succeed so that was probably my my failure but, but first try you know it's I, a fact-finding mission yeah that's that's honestly what i went for i i didn't go to get to the north pole i went to figure out what does it feel like to sleep in a tent at negative 40 degrees oh my gosh and, and i and i figured that stuff out and i figured out what you kind of need to do to Take care of all that stuff so it was a it was a fact yeah it was a fact-finding mission um so now is round two and i have i just got my uh i just got my gear that came in today bicycle pick pedals here <laughs> I'm, riding, uh, I'm riding my bike from um 45 degrees north to back to Wollaston lake last time i drove i drove my car and this time i'm i'm riding the bike so for the first 12, wow for the first 12 <laughs> degrees from 45 degrees north to basically 57 or 58 degrees north um i'm going to be bicycling and then from there winter will be setting in and i'll transition to ski and i'll and i'll start skiing north towards the uh, north pole um Amazing. so anyways that's well the, uh, if we're on the way and you need to rest you uh, know yes. come uh, see us I, I think you're north from me so the, yes uh, I, that's where i'm headed we're north, by the so. canadian border <laughs> yeah. perfect Straight and up that's the desk the website for that is destination hyperborea um so i'm not on the move right now i was just doing some training up in the sawtooth mountains but i am headed uh here probably right around the first of august i'll be Hop, I'll be leaving from 45 degrees north on the bike and I'll be uh, 
headed towards the North Pole. It's probably going to take a year and a half, so don't expect results immediately. Okay, so right, so, so part two no pressure, is in no the future. Okay. Yes, yeah, I'll be on my way. So um, that's in it. two years, that, we should know what happened to you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, I'll come back with. Um, I got micro SD cards so I can slip one under my tongue or something. And, and when the military yanks me back from uh, <laughs> the, the Hyperborean coast, I'll, uh, I'll get, uh, try to get some video out of it. So, Amazing. Uh, yeah. We'll do a part two then. And, um, yes. now then, like I said, destination hyperborean.com is a website for that and all the link and all the articles that I've been reading. And then of course, just youtube.com slash Ryan Zim. So that's where, you can find me and I've, man, it's been great chatting with you guys. Yeah. Great chatting with Wonderful you. Wonderful to meet you. And, nice uh, to meet you too. Hopefully we can meet in person soon. Absolutely. <laughs> if not, then it'll be uh, a live stream from Canada. So All okay. right. we'll talk in the future. Thanks right. for the time, guys. I'll Thanks, talk Ryan. To you soon. Thank you so much. Bye. Cheers. <laughs> All right, Fabby. <laughs> that was another long one. Uh, we know, but we it really but started topic, to get going. I mean, the topic is I don't even know how do we even title this episode? Uh, we, we flat wait, wait, wait. Do we didn't even start with flat earth? Did we? We light reflection, refraction, Tartaria. Uh, the Inuit, oh Hyperborea, or maybe we should just call it. Rapture. <laughs> Jesus Christ is Genghis Khan. No, no, <laughs> no, no, that would certainly get some views for sure. Yes, yes. Um, no, I think it will be definitely Tartaria related journey to Hyperborea and the roots of Tartaria. Yeah, and what a good guy. Yeah, you know, it's just, I mean, he's, he's put together a great site. I mean, at least anyone who has interest, he's you know, taking responsibility. He's yeah, like, you he's, know what? If I can really find the answer for sure i'm gonna go there i'm well, gonna do it myself you know we we talk about how you know epistemology how do we know what we think we know yeah and he's like oh, okay well I, I feel like i know what i know but you know what i'm gonna go there and i'm gonna prove it one way or another yeah he's gonna go see it in person and then I, i'll know for sure so i mean i give him all the credit in the world and and uh, we hope to see him before he makes his way further north for sure all right Woo, a little loud. Uh, that's another episode of the Collective Resistance Podcast. Abby, what do you want to tell everybody? Hey, everyone. Don't forget to check us out at our Telegram group, the Collective Resistance Podcast, and yes. Twitter. And, and stay healthy, stay safe, and stay curious. <laughs> <laughs> we went long. All right.